Make Life Delicious, the podcast, is more than the food we eat. It's what else in life that makes us feel, be, and act delicious. We'll have conversations about real life, its messiness, and the things we can't live without. The ups, the downs, and the things we do on the daily to maintain our health, strength, and our balance. We'll talk about the unconventional wisdom and the alternative practices used in raising families, from healing to sex, because life's juicy. We are so excited and so ready to share how we make life delicious every day and how you can too. This is a Soul Fire production. Do you feel like a full-time short order cook? Constantly cooking everything and in between? <laughs> well, today, Megs and I are going to really talk about quarantine eating. Yeah, you know? I think just eating in general. Well, yeah, because right now, this is what this time is. And hopefully, you know, that quarantine will be lightening up and mm-hmm. things are going to be, you know, a little more freer. But we really want to share some fun ways that you can Get more into cooking, whether you have a family or not a family, young kids, teenagers that eat you out of house and home, um, how to keep food, <laughs> you know, in your kitchen so that you can feed each other, and ways to actually get the humans that you live with, little or big, mm-hmm. to start eating a little more healthy. I love this. Yeah. So, you know, when I would go into people's homes, Megs, and do what we call a kitchen blessing, you mm-hmm. know, we go in and one of the first things that I share with my client, with the family, sometimes we'll do it as a family as a whole. And sometimes it's just one-on-one with the parent, whoever the cook is, and they're cleaning out their kitchen. I tell them right off the bat, you your goal is to get your family to eat healthy. My number one rule is don't tell your family that. Don't tell them that you're changing everything up to eat healthy. That just upsets the whole apple cart. (laughs) And it creates like, you know, a lot of stress for these, these, the family members because they're like, wait, what? Healthy. Yeah, we call it. That's that's like (laughs) what I started when I first started working with Pegs when we first started Curry Girls Kitchen. Those kitchen kitchen blessings transformed into what we would call a kitchen makeover. And it's really just putting in our favorite products and products that we've tested with so many other families that are kid-friendly and kid-approved of switching out the Cheez-Its to a different variety of that or finding those favorites. Like you were saying, don't say that it's healthy, but what are those swaps? What is the, the, the comparable? I call them crossover foods. Yes. You know, so it's like things that you're trying to get your kids to eat, you know, better for them. And, and right now, you know, during. And I, let's even change better for them. With more benefit. Oh, uh, thank you. (laughs) That was a good swap, Megan. Yes. Because we like to, you know, we like to say we want to eat for benefit. Yes. And we're not about this is good or bad. Like we say, it's very much 80-20. Like 80% of the time we're eating really nutrient-dense food. And 20% of the time we're enjoying it and not being so strict on ourselves and allowing ourselves to have fun. Well, and that right there, that's attitude. Attitude is 
everything when it comes to cooking and eating. And especially like with kids, one of the things, you know, having been a special ed school teacher, then raising four children, I realized how what I call war happens within the house is by the reaction that you are trying to elicit either out of your child or out of, you know, your sibling that you're trying to get them mad. And so the attitude when it comes to feeding your family healthy food, if you don't make it a big deal, it won't be a big deal. Yeah. And I want to touch on that too, because I think a big piece of it too, you know, we had asked a lot is like, how do I change my family to eating healthier? How do I start implementing these things? Is that you have to remember food is so emotional. It is such a, it's so nostalgic. So even if you personally, as an adult are trying to change your eating habits and switch up your lifestyle to a more beneficial way, you have to address the fact that there are some things that you turn to for nourishment, for comfort. There's a reason why we call it comfort food. And these are things that if you're, if like we said, when we go in and we help redo pantries and redo these things, kids have attachments to those pink and white circus animal cookies, okay? You can't just go and take them away. <laughs> we have to find comparable replacements and things that they're not feeling like you are taking away the things that they love. Yeah, because that does. It upsets their apple cart. Yes. And so what it is, is finding these things of making it like a slow transition. Oh, yes. I literally, that is key, Megan. Don't just like one day you go into your pantry and you throw everything out and then you bring in new things that they don't recognize. No, you slowly make something really yummy and put it on the table. We don't announce anything like, this is healthy for you, eat this. No, mm -mm. what you want to do is just put it on the table. It's a delicious banana bread. Or you have these, you found these great Cheetos that are better for you that aren't Cheetos, but they're, you know, um, Crunchitos that are a a better product for them without any added ingredients. Mm -hmm. So these better for you swaps crossover foods is what we call them. I'm going to keep sitting here and saying more nutrient-dense foods. Well, but there's some things, Meg, not everything is going to have nutritional value. However, what we do, even in our baking, we Mm -hmm. add things in like a coconut flour or a flax meal, you know, or fruit or something that's going to give whatever we're choosing to eat a little more benefit for us. Yeah. And the ingredients matter. So that's all a part of when we really create these pantries that have better for you ingredients. And as you slowly swap one for another, like finish out the one if you want to finish it out and then add in a better for you crossover food. And it's that idea of by not announcing it and also having the attitude that you were doing the best to your ability, feeding your family to the best of your ability. I know a lot of times they're like, we'll work with parents and moms, especially they have this like, 
I've been poisoning my child. And it's like, no, we have to eliminate that. You were feeding your family to the best of your ability. And now you have new information and these new tools that we're going to start incorporating into the family. And it's not even, it's by not announcing it to them, like we've been doing it wrong. And this is no more. We're changing it up. It's (laughs) like, you don't need to make that declaration. You have this information that now you as the person in control of the kitchen, we say- Well, the king or the queen of the kitchen. Yes. Not necessarily in control, but it's your it's your domain. Well, it is because, you know, we're going to talk about boundaries in the kitchen and you got you to gotta establish that there's some rules in the house. You know, kids especially, you need that structure. You need to know those boundaries within the kitchen. And by knowing that this is what we're going to have, this is what we have in the kitchen. This is what you can eat. This is the things that are yeah. we're offering and serving to you. We're definitely going to talk about that. Yeah, I want to talk about, that. though, this other thing that you just said just a minute ago, because that, to me, uh, is important information. When parents think they've been doing something bad for the first, like, you know, however many years, the first two years, 10 years, 15 years of their kid, feeding them, you know, way too much sugar or bad products or or whatever. gluten unknowingly that you had a gluten intolerance. That's right. And so what you get to understand is our body changes, literally changes after three days. Things, our blood cells change, our composition change, things change. And over the course of time, you know, you're going to reestablish better uh, eating habits, better foods, and your body is going to then start to heal and be happy, which Megan knows. <laughs> yes. And I was just going to say, you know, just more beneficial habits for you. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So um, the other thing is, what's really great is modeling. What you eat really tells your kids a lot about what they will do. This is so huge. You know, I cook for a lot of families being a private chef. And a lot of times I get parents, especially, you know, with teens, with teenagers, they're like, I want my daughter or my son, I want them to eat more of this. Well, they're watching what you eat. And if you're not eating it, why do they want to eat it? And the same goes for young kids. It's like, you have to model what it is you want your kids to be doing. Because they're paying attention to that. Yes. And one of the things that parents, I think, have the hardest time getting their kids to eat are vegetables. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that both Megan and I do really well is make vegetables. We cook delicious vegetables that are super easy and delicious. So when the kids were growing up, I would roast sheet pans of vegetables. I would make these garlicky broccolis. And I would try and make enough so that... We, I had enough for the, the next day. And so I call these veggie wars because I would tell my kids, I would put them on the table and, you know, it took a few times for maybe a, some of them to start picking at them or eating them. But over time, they learned to love their vegetables. And all four of them are huge vegetable eaters because I didn't make it a big deal. I said, no, 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 that's mine. You can't have any. But also we always (laughs) had a lot of veggie options because that's what we were served. So we just grew up with it. 
Right. And that's the thing, options, choices. You know, um, a lot of times I'll just make one vegetable now, but in the beginning I would make like a variety of vegetables and just keep, you know, changing up maybe the way I prepared it. And then the kids would slowly gravitate to the colors because kids love colors, you know, and then there are those kids that we call, you know, only eat white foods. And, you know, again, if you slowly reintroduce them, the smell, you know, how do we, how do we eat? We eat with our eyes. We eat with our senses. We eat with our nose. If things smell good, they're going to eventually be curious and try it. But I like what you said with the giving options, because what that then allows is for you to communicate, especially with kids and discover what vegetables they like. You know, this has to do with modeling. You might assume that, well, I love broccoli. My child has to love broccoli. Well, your child might not like broccoli because it's a textural thing. Maybe they like green beans. Maybe they like carrots. They like harder, more substantial crunchy things. Or a roasted cauliflower, you know, whatever. But that's where it's by having and trying all these things, which is why oh, we love eating within the seasons of all the different veggies that you get seasonally, is that it's not only educational, but it switches it up. And then as you discover these foods that the kids really love, as something new comes into the season, you get to eat a bunch of that. Well, and I love the word try. And I remember um, one of the things that like for Growing Great that mm-hmm. we teach all these kids in the schools, what is it? We try new foods. How do you get your kids to try new foods is you make it fun, not hard, you know, and you just offer them things and you say, look, you can try this vegetable, chew it. If you really hate it, spit it out. You know what I mean? And over time, the more they can try it, it says there was a Harvard study actually did this study. After 10 times, a child will eat a vegetable or something new, they will learn how to enjoy it. But it took 10 times. So what you're saying, I just want to understand this correctly, that you're saying you have to keep offering your child to continue to try the same vegetable. And by the 10th try, they might discover an enjoyment for it. Yeah, they might like it. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what, that's what that research was saying. I love it. I think that plays a lot into, you know, again, with these families I cook for is you kind of find the things that kids like and you stick with it. Oh my gosh. I love where you're going. Yeah. And you don't <laughs> like, it doesn't have to be a new thing or so complex. I remember, I mean, I was young, I was 22 and I started cooking for families and I was so insecure about it. So I was trying to make these like beautiful gourmet meals and the kids wanted it simple. It was too much flavor, too many different things going in there that they liked simpler foods. And oh my goodness, I remember being like coming home and telling my mom, being like, how did you do it with us? Because I'm I'm personally offended that this kid did not eat my meal. And <laughs> well. it had nothing to do about this meal that tasted delicious to me. I'm now having to cater to a child's palate. And the the main goal is just getting nutrients into their body, getting them to eat foods. Right. And that was like, once I learned that and I found like five things that they enjoyed, that became the five meal rotation. Right. And rotation is so 
That That's beautiful. I loved how you explained that. And so what we did as a family here, I had four kids and I've talked about it before with the organization and planning meals and things like that. I created these seven days a week, a themed meal. So Monday was always Italian night. Tuesday was Mexican. Wednesday was fish. Thursday was vegetarian. Friday was, well, we kept the Sabbath. So we did Shabbat, a roasted meal of some kind. Saturday was always homemade pizza night. And Sunday was always a barbecue or a burger night, Sunday burgers. Or takeout pizzas. Or takeout, right, or takeout pizzas. And so by having that kind of organization, and then within each of those sections of Monday night dinners, Tuesday night dinners, Wednesday night dinners, I had at least five different recipes that I would rotate. And they were simple. They weren't complex because you're busy. And I also kept it to three. So it was a salad, a vegetable, and a protein. And that was it. Because the more complex you make it during the week, kids, like you said, they don't want it fancy. You know, and even if it's, you don't have kids, it doesn't have to be fancy. You just want to nourish your body with things that taste good for you, you know, and and really honing in on that. And I think that's what you touched on again on this communicating with your kids and how on our, on our, um, uh, what do we, we had our weekly Sunday family meetings, right? On our Sandy. Yeah. On those meetings, I would always ask you guys, you know, what do you want to eat for the week? And that communication with us when we were kids and also what I use with my clients' kids is engaging them and giving them ownership in the food that they'll be eating, letting them say like, I really have a craving for this this week. I'd really love to try this. Like, you know, kids' palates are constantly changing and evolving. Like there's times where like with families I've been cooking for for a really long time, like one week I'll deliver something and a kid's like, "Mm, I don't like it anymore. And it's, nothing's changed, but that's just like the evolution of their palate. They're, one of the kids decided I'm going to be vegetarian no more meat. You're like, okay, great. How do we support this? And allowing them to have that within this structure. And the more that you communicate with them and bring them in and make them a part of the decision making, you're teaching them these habits and how to share what they like and what they need and what they they want for dinner. Exactly. And you know, when you talk about well, what if a member of my family turns vegan or vegetarian and we're all eating meat? And how am I going to make a meal? Do I have to make like a whole nother meal? I'm like, no, that's the thing. You know, when Megan was growing up and I had to make special meals for her all the time, I stopped. It became cumbersome for me. So how do you make an allergy-free dinner that everyone can like and maybe add one more thing in if like, let's say they're a meat eater. And that's the key thing. What you said there is that you were making me separate meals because of my food sensitivities, my allergies, all of my stuff that we were dealing with. And before we knew. Yeah. Figuring out. Before we knew we were gluten intolerant. Yes. And you made that decision. This is the way everyone's going to eat now. For me, it helped me not feel left out because that was something that up until high school, I did have that like stigma around food because everything I ate was different and it did implement these disordered eating habits for me and 
really kind of changed my relationship with food, which I've been, I've worked on now and have such a healthier relationship with it. But by making it, it not a thing. And by deciding that, you know what, this is what we eat as a family now. And what you said is like, because we're so veggie focused, plants fill up the majority of our plates, which is then supplemented with some proteins or our vegetarian nights or pastas or whatever it is that we're eating that night of the week. If you have somebody that is vegan or vegetarian or paleo in your family, it makes it a lot easier because the main focus of the meal are those plants, which then you start adding in other things. So maybe it's a side of beans, it's a side of tofu or whatever it is that mm-hmm. you're then giving to your other family member. Yeah. It's it's so true not to alienate a child or another person in your family to kind of, you know, make them, oh, well, they're different. And I saw that with you. And that's when I just started switching things up. You know, hindsight is everything. And today there are so many different people with so many different uh, food preferences. Exactly. And so how do we get to come together as a family? I like this. Yeah. You know, it's like this idea of like, one meal. When we came down to eat, we all sat and ate this one meal. And by focusing on that rule of three, you know, a salad, a veggie, and the main dish, whatever that main dish is, it makes it a lot easier to have one meal forever for everyone. And especially if you do have, let's say, an extremely picky eater. Oh, okay. So yes, that I'm so glad that you said that because I think it's really important. Again, you don't need to go into battle with a picky eater. What you do is you offer them something that they can have that you know that they like that they're going to eat. Give us an example. So an example is we used to make, uh, well, the first thing that I used to do is say, okay, go make a piece of toast. <laughs> After a while, a piece of toast isn't going to really nourish them the way I'd like to. So I learned this trick and it's it's uh, brown rice, quinoa, sunflower seed. It contains all our amino acids that we need. It had benefit to it. So I'd say to Annie, Annie, you don't like what we're having for dinner tonight. Okay. There's this dish is in the refrigerator. I'll warm it up for you. Stops the battle. She feels satisfied. She feels taken care of, you know, that's it. And you don't have to feel badly or make her feel badly. And then you create this better relationship between the two of you. There's less of a reaction to, you know, a kid falling apart at the table and going, I don't want to eat that. No, I don't like that. You're like, okay, well, you know what? This is our dinner. This is what we're having. I have one other option for you if you'd prefer that. And then, you know, let them have that option if they're willing to take it. And I will say too, this especially works. You know, the kids that are like, they're they're addicted to sugar. They want that dessert. They're not going to eat their their meal. But if you're giving dessert at the end of every meal, I noticed this a lot when I was nannying is these kids would be like, okay, I'm full. They barely touched their dinner and they were looking for dessert. And I would say you can't, it's not about like, you can't have dessert because that's not my household. I was there just filling it in. So I'd be like, Okay, whatever. This is this family structure that the kid can get dessert and they want the kid to eat it. Well, okay, fine. They're going to eat it. But I think a really great way of avoiding that and like what you talked about was like, okay, this is our dinner. Everyone eats this. There's one other option. 
If you don't eat that, that's what we have for dinner. And you know what? That's it. I am telling you, your child will get hungry and will eventually eat. (laughs) Yeah. They're not going to starve if you send them to bed not eating anything. They're going to wake up. They're going to be hungry. But the lesson that they're going to learn is your word, you mean it. Mm -hmm. And that is really important. When you give in to a kid around food, they're going to keep going at you. And by you telling them, you know, this is dinner. You don't make a big deal about it. Okay, well, then that's it. Nope, we're not going to wake up at nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night and have some eating. Nope, we're just going to go to bed, have a glass of water. It's really important to maintain your word because then they build the trust that, ooh, you know what? Mom or dad really mean what they say. And and then I really want to touch on that sugar piece. You know, one of the things that we did is... I didn't give dessert after dinner. It wasn't a habit because I don't want my kids going to bed with sugar, you know, because that isn't healthy. You just start, you just spike Spike. their energy (laughs) and then they're going to crash. I do remember our treats were after school. So we would come home around three o'clock in the afternoon when you're still going to have a lot of activity left in the day that you're going to be able to burn off that sugar. And it was a great after-school snack, a treat that was homemade. And I felt like I had that. I wasn't ever like missing out on that treat. So good. So good. And we did. You know, we have Sunday Sundays. We would have our (laughs) once a week uh, on the weekend. That was like a treat we would have. Yeah. Sugar was not the focus. Food was the focus for sure. Food definitely was the focus, but we did have things that you that felt more celebratory or were on the sweeter side that were just, like you said, you didn't make it a big deal. It's like we'd come home and we had chocolate chip banana bread or ch- zucchini bread or whatever it was, muffins, mm-hmm. some a, tr- a cookie. cookie, a treat that you had made us. And that was what we got after school. That would be there as a snack that would be out. And then there was there was stuff that like we then had a period of time before dinner and then it was dinner and then it was that was it yeah time for bed mm-hmm. so I think one of the other things that um, helping kids enjoy healthier foods is get, bringing them in the kitchen with you bringing them in the kitchen with you and having them cook a meal with you by doing that. I have found, I'll I'll never forget this one story, was we had some friends visiting from out of town and they have two kids. And I think one was like nine and one was um, a little younger. And she goes, oh, my kid won't eat that. And I'm like, come on, come on, Watson. We're going to make zucchini um, moons, half moon zucchini. And I just sauteed them up with a little olive oil, sea salt. I put that plate on the table. They were completely gone. And she was like, whoa. I said, yeah, because when you invite a kid in and get them involved in the process, whatever they're making, they're going to try, they're going to eat it and they're going to, they're going to want more of it. And it being the time with you that you took to show them how to make something and then actually sharing it with you. It's giving that child ownership. They made it. So they are proud of it. 
That's right. And then that leads into, you know, depending on the age of the kids, I look at it around anywhere after five, depending on, you know, the functioning of your child from five, six, seven, eight, teach them a few things that they can make themselves. So here we are in quarantine and you're tired of constantly being this round the clock chef, um, short order cook. And there's certain things that you can have your kids make for themselves. Well, I think it's teaching them going back, but like teaching them how to cook themselves. And this involves not teaching them, you know, so many people, especially clients that I work with are terrified of knives and they're terrified of getting injured in the kitchen. And so as you educate your child, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you tell your child, this is hot. Don't touch it. This is hot. Don't touch it. Well, they're until they learn for themselves, they accidentally touch it. Ouch, hot. Ouch, hot. They now know. They will not touch that again. And you, you know, you can avoid that by really educating them being like, these are sharp knives. Or you get kid-friendly knives that they learn how to handle a knife, how to chop these veggies that aren't going to have as severe of a um, ouchie. Ouchie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's genius because I do. I think having, then it's like, Ooh, mom, I've got my own cutlery, my own knife that I'm going to use to cook. They're going to want to come into the kitchen more with you and go, come on, mom, what are we cooking today? You oh, know? I, I remember pulling up the stool and standing next to you when we would make bread, when we would do veggies, when we would be baking, like whatever it was, like standing on the stool next to you in the kitchen, like it was so much fun. And powerful. You're empowering your kids with knowledge, you guys, at a very early age that's going to carry them through once they leave the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those those are the things that we want to be able to teach our kids. You know, certain skills, how to boil water, how to fry an egg, how to make a smoothie, how to toast bread and butter it. You know, some of the things that, you know, that you could get your kids to to make are simple things like mac and cheese, whether it's a better for you mac and cheese product, um, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches, a better for you frozen pizza, or making those English muffin pizzas that we used to make. Or remember we used to make them on um, when they didn't have good pizza crust, gluten-free pizza crust. We would actually make them on a thin um, tortilla, tortilla mm-hmm. you know, and those were really good. Well, and now they have all these different, like the, like a cauliflower pizza crusts and things like that. Like there's yeah. so many ways to get creative and to have these foods that kids can make. Right. And, and again, those crossover foods, like one of the biggest things, like Annie was our picky eater and she wasn't a breakfast eater and I would buy better for her hot dogs that didn't, weren't loaded with a whole bunch of, you know, crap in them. And I felt good about doing scrambled eggs and hot dogs. And I would actually teach her how to make it herself. So she felt empowered doing that, you know? And then that rolls into having their own autonomous, you know, like snack drawer, things that they can grab and go. Things in the refrigerator, you know, if there's fruit bowls or, you know, apples in the refrigerator, bananas or things like that, that they know when they get hungry, they can simply say, hey, is it okay if I 
have a snack right now. Sure, go grab it. You know where it is, mm-hmm. you know? And so then they feel kind of like all puffed up, like, yeah, I can do this myself, mm-hmm. you know? Or mom, I'm hungry. Okay, there's yogurt, there's berries, there's granola, there's cereal, you know, things like that that make it easy for them to be empowered with feeding themselves. And I like you just touched on so many, like a variety. There was sweet things like a berries, a granola, a yogurt, a cereal. There was also veggies with hummus. There was fruits, whole foods. You know, it wasn't just one or the other. It's this whole op- the variety of options that we could choose between depending on what we felt like. Exactly. So, you know, that's really good. And then as the kids grow They kind of, you know, um, they grow their kitchen skills. They grow their knowledge because then on the other hand, you're, while you're in the kitchen with your kids, you're actually educating them. You're teaching them about why do we want to eat the green foods? Why do we want to have proteins, you know? And so we would call these, again, it's because I wrote, I wrote the curriculum for Growing Great. And, you know, it's a, now it's a pre-K all the way through high school uh, program that teaches kids how to make better choices with their foods. And it was, you know, proteins, fats, and carbs. You have your, your go foods, your grow foods, and your brain foods. And when you Give kids that information of why they want to eat this kind of food. It makes them more, I guess, again, empowered to knowing and having this information. You know, it brings back to thinking about teenagers, teenagers that have acne problems. I know it is so hard, but I, it's giving them that information that what you're putting in your body actually matters. You are what you eat. You know, that's something that I vividly remember in high school, a little bit in middle school, but I was still so much in my like getting to choose my own foods that I didn't really, I wasn't paying attention to it. But in high school, once my hormones really started changing, also I was a later bloomer, like that, like when my hormones started, started developing and, you know, as your body starts changing and maturing, your brain like is growing, like you're still growing so much. And I started having little zits, you know, also being really active and working out, like playing soccer, playing sports. I was swimming. I was dancing. I was doing all these things that I noticed. I started paying attention to the foods that I was eating and how they were correlating to my energy and my performance, whether it be in school and learning or on the field with my team and also my appearance, how I felt, how my skin looked and all of those things. Like, I mean, as any kid, you, it's like you start noticing these things. Yeah. I think that when kids have a greater understanding of why food is important, also, you know, having that time available to them, being in the kitchen and cooking with you, I think that's great. And then if you have younger kids, making things fun, you know, and because those people that are quarantined right now. Cooking has everything. It has math, it has science, it has literature, it has art. And there are so many fun things that I love. I mean, I I wish I could get into people's homes and just play with kids in the kitchen because there's so much. 
Well, and then the garden. I've been loving my garden and learning about the bugs and the other bugs that help keep my plants from like the soil and the worms. And you learn all of this stuff and the, like the nutrients around it and growing your own food. Man, is that empowering. Well, oh. and you grow it in pots. Exactly. And I, we have raised beds. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be cumbersome, especially with kids. You can get two big pots and put it anywhere outside if you have that space. They plant the seed. You can put basil and herbs in your window. You don't even need outdoor space. You can have, you can do herbs inside your house. Like you don't need, yes, they need some sunlight, but you don't need as much space as you think. Well, and really fast growing things are things that make up a salad. Lettuces grow so fast right now and radishes. And most people go, kids eat radish? Like, yes. Hundreds of thousands of kids in our programs would eat a salad that they grew and the dressing that is our curry house dressing that got them to love salads. Well, and I think that's a part of the program, you know, Peggy helped co-founded was they would have a school garden and then they would take the produce and they would make salads with it. Yep. And then they would also take the extra produce and have a little farmer's market. Mm-hmm. And that would go back into funding the program. And, and again, the- that is growinggreat.org. If you are interested in looking into it, it is still going around and so amazing and truly is such a foundation that whole close to the source, minimally processed foods that we talk about a lot came from this program that she that's, co-founded. That's now a national program with international reach. And they actually have really fun activities that you can get for this time of COVID. They do science projects every week. They're posting new things. So it's really exciting. And it's that idea of taking it from the garden and into your home, the food that you grow. Where does the food come from? I think that was the most... like. Eye-opening thing for me when I was, I volunteered for Growing Great when I was in college. And when I would come home from school, since I got out of school in May, I would teach these classes in all over the city and learning these, watching these kids say like, where does your chicken nugget, where do your chicken nuggets come from? Where do these things that you love to eat? And the disconnect from this where this food comes from. It's so, it it was- Mind-blowing. Mind-blowing because you, we grew up going to an apple farm and picking apples and mm-hmm. doing these were fun activities that we did, which I, like, if you have access to that and live nearby or make a field trip out of it now. Or, or just go to your farmer's market. Take your kids to the farmer's markets. They have them. Summertime are all the ones across the country are opening up again and getting them to see all the different vegetables and talking about, I mean, I wrote a book. What's in season now? It was a kid book because I couldn't find anyone. I wrote that, that it's it's interactive. And you can find farmer's market if you're unsure if there's a farmer's market near you. Just Google local or farmer's market near me and it'll pop up. local harvest. And you can type in your zip code and you'll find one nearby. Uh, and it's such a fun activity to do. And it is, it's that, that, that visually stimulating 
piece where you get to look at all the different veggies and then you get to take them home with your kid and make something fun and yummy and delicious out of it. Exactly. Oh, and I love cookbooks, Meg. Mm -hmm. So here it is. You have this plethora of bounty, right? And so now, you know, if you don't have recipes for certain vegetables or you're trying new foods, you know, that's like really big for us is that, you know, maybe there's a vegetable you've never tried before and you need a recipe. So together you sit down and you open up a cookbook or you go online and you find recipes that you could make with your child using this food. Like that's so engaging. Go on Pinterest. Pinterest is full of those recipes. Oh my God, yes. We yeah. have a ton of those at Curry mm-hmm. Girls, which is so fun. Yeah, and like making it fun that way. Well, and and doing projects with them, like making art projects with food. There's so many different things. And I like what you said too, is like trying new vegetables or new things. I think that's what I loved most about traveling is that when I would travel to different places, that's how you try new foods. I feel like, you know, we're so lucky here in the United States. It is such a melting pot. And for us, you know, being where we live in Southern California, so close to the Mexican border, like Mexico, like it's like we had a lot of Mexican food around here. And it was also really good for gluten-free. It was like the only restaurant we could go to. (laughs) That and sushi, which you and dad aren't big sushi eaters. I love sushi. But yeah, trying these new foods and really expanding your palate. Well, the cultural thing. And you can add that into your themed Mm -hmm. weekly nights. Like make a cultural night. You know, take a big map and go, where are we going tonight? And then look it up on the on the internet and go, what's some cultural meal that I can make with my kid? Now you've got history going with your kid. You've got geography going. You've got all these things that you can do. You can make it into a restaurant. Like tonight's restaurant is from here and make it like a project. Like yeah. have it be this fun thing. Like you pick a meal, you make it like this is the restaurant we're visiting tonight at that's, home. That's what Sam did. When she discovered, we she, Sam, the youngest curry, she had gotten this international cookbook at the book fair. And literally she made, she and Annie made this um, French onion soup. And with it was croque monsieur, which is another fancy name for grilled cheese and ham. And they made it. Then, like a few years later, we go to Paris. We take the whole family traveling. And we went all around Paris trying to find the best version of the French onion soup. And we all as a family decided Sam's French onion soup won. We loved it. It was like so fun. It was. (laughs) And it is. It's like make it fun. Get experimental with it. Yeah. You know, and and I think another really fun thing that during this time is, um, is bake gifts for people. Either bake gifts, make a meal for someone. You know, people are, I think, are by themselves a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think something is a gift from your heart, which is something that's homemade. Drop it off to a neighbor. We got the sweetest oh gift. Gosh. Literally was so sweet and so delicious. And it was a Brazilian cornmeal cake bread that had guava yes in it from her traditional family recipe and Megan and I were so blown away by this gift it was so delicious and so thoughtful like it was such a surprise to just have our neighbor knock on our door and give us this like beautiful baked loaf of yumminess 
And getting able to do that to a neighbor in your neighborhood and just connecting with somebody or dropping it off to a friend. You know, we can't necessarily be inside with them or hang out with them, but being able to make something and writing a little card, especially with kids, making it a project, go deliver cookies to your friend that you miss so much. Go make something and drop it off to a neighbor or a teacher or whoever that you you miss and you love. Oh my God. Remember how you used to have those things that were called boo on the door? You were booed. Yes. And so they would boo you. You'd get this like ghost. They'd tab it to your door and then they'd leave you like candy at the bottom. Mm -hmm. Let's do a COVID boo. (laughs) Oh my God. I love it. It's like, you know, go write a love note, tape it to your door, you know, your neighbor's door and just tell them, you know, I left you a love gift at your door. You know, you see all those, (laughs) the rainbow hearts that people are putting on their windows and making like, we're all in this together. Like, Cut out a big heart and drop some, like leave it on a friend's doorstep and like tag it, pass it along. I think that's so fun. Oh my gosh. I really hope you guys got some really fun ideas. I know we had fun sharing all these fun ideas, like so many memories, Megs. It really is. It's like, like we said, you know, food is so nostalgic. It's so, there's so many memories and emo- emotions associated to it. And especially now, like as we're trying to just really cope you know, like in this big unknown, it's what are the things that you can find enjoyment in? And food is one of those things that Mm. really does like nourish you. And yeah, we hope that you found something in here that really provided some help. (laughs) Well, and, and also that, you know, why we started this podcast, we want to help you make your life delicious. And Pay it forward as well. And I think that's what today's really message is, is this quarantine eating is is yes for you and your family. And then how can we share that love? I love that. Mm. And if you loved this and want to share some love for us with this podcast, don't forget to share this with your friends, your family, loved ones, people that you think would really resonate with this and follow along. If you make something, a recipe of ours, you can go to currygirlskitchen.com. There's so many recipes up there. Tag us at currygirlskitchen. Send us a DM on Instagram. Go to our Pinterest page, the Curry Girls, and find recipes that you like. We want to see you make all of this (laughs) and enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) We love you all. 